So welcome back. The Impact Sessions podcast is back after a short break. And to celebrate being back, I've got a fantastic first guest for us. The guest today is James Steptoe. He's the global sales director of a company called PureTech Process Systems. Now, James had a very interesting pandemic, as most of us have had. But we're going to talk today about exploring how he's built a growing, successful global business in a global pandemic. And given his role as global sales director, how that's panned out and what the challenges have been. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you, Nick. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Nice, uh, nice backdrop with your branding on there. Good to see. So uh, always, always the sales professional. Like to see that as well. Do my bit. I have to do my bit. Excellent. Well, listen, you've had a can you be described as an interesting time over the the pandemic. A lot of people have, but I think given the nature of your role, particularly and what you've had to try and achieve with both hands tied behind your back and your legs and everything else, it's it's worth exploring, you know, what the uh, how you got through that and what the results have been. So before we get any further, I guess I always say to my guests, tell us a little bit about PureTech uh, Process Systems uh, and why being global really is the only option for a business like you. You can add blindfolded as well to that, having your arms tied behind your back and legs tied. Um, so, yeah, I was appointed in August 2019 as global sales manager for PureTech. Um, the main core of PureTech's business is water treatment systems in the pharmaceutical sector. So we will purify and treat the water that's required for all sorts of applications um, across pharmaceutical, um, including vaccines, but there's obviously lots of other applications that water is used for on different types of water. So although we are based in the UK in, in South London, we have a global part of our business, which we export these systems that we manufacture in the UK across, across the globe. Um, so we're quite strong in Southeast Asia, Bangladesh, as well as having systems in Africa and Europe and, and America as well. Okay. So at the time I was appointed, um, my role was to go out and about and uh, identify, meet, appoint new agents and new distributors, um, support them in their sales and, and local marketing um, with a view of increasing our inquiries and increasing our revenue. Well, I think in the early days, you probably had your passport ready you probably had your visas all in place, your inoculations up to date. And then I guess six months later, all bets were off. And we didn't even know what we didn't know, did we, in March 2020? It was almost like, will I ever get on a plane again? And, you know, having done that, what was your first reaction to the travel ban, I guess, personally, but also professionally? You know, what was your reaction in in February, March, April, when the world was just locking down, you know, by region? Well, personally, I loved it because I, I was home with the, with the girl, my two girls and my wife, and we spent some lots, lots of time together, um, which was great because I was married at the time 10, 11 years, and every week of my working life, I'd, I'd have gone away, whether it be for two nights or three nights. So to have you know, a couple of months at the time of knowing I'm not going anywhere was great. Mm. Um, professionally, I was quite worried initially because I was a, I was only been working for PureTech for, you know, best part of six months as a, as a global sales manager role at the time. And thinking, oh, 
could be out of a job here. You know, I can't, I can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I flew back from Thailand on the 2nd of March. And you talking to people on the plane and what's going on. Obviously, if from that in that part of the world, they were a bit further ahead of us at that time. And um, but things were still happening. I don't think I actually ever really believed that there would be much of a change. You know, flights would in a few months would would start up again and everyone would get back to a normal life. And um, you know, here we are two years later, pretty much, and it's still not normal. So I didn't think I believed it at first. And then obviously you you get the prime minister on TV saying you can't leave your house. Um, you can't go shopping unless it's for essential items. thinking, well, oh, this is quite serious. <laughs> so the initial reaction was of not going to don't really believe what's happening to then very quickly realize that this is serious. And we've got to try and I've got to try and do something different. Having given the, uh, the business were fantastic straight away. We said, no one worry about anything. You're going to be employed. You can carry on doing your job. We do other things as well as pharmaceutical water. So there was lots of medical gas work going on. So as a company, we were very well looked after and reassured that don't worry, we're going to keep going. I think that reassurance in the early stage, I think the companies that have come through this stronger were really good at communicating, weren't they? And really good at that reassurance piece because the uncertainty was the real crux of the issue in March, April, May, certainly 2020. So for you to hear very early on, don't worry, your job's safe, then allows you, I guess, on a professional level to start thinking about, and I guess this is my next sort of expansion really, is, you know, what did you start to think about in terms of, well, the world might be shut for a while here, you know, what, what were the stages you went through in terms of growing your customers and distributors and how did you start to shift from a, you know, what would have been your previous role of getting on a plane, going to expos, visits, meetings? How did you start the shift uh, to, to, to give you a chance of, of, of maintaining some global success? What was fantastic was after I got that reassurance from the company, I could then sit down and I didn't have to worry about what my job might look like. It was you've still got a job. Get on with it, basically. And you've got the freedom to do that. And we've always had that freedom. So that's a great ethos. And how they developed the business over the years. So you quite quickly completely change your mindset and thinking about what's going to happen to say, what am I going to do? It's not, we can't control the pandemic. It's here and, it, and it's how you react to that, isn't it? A lot of the time. So try and react positively. And luckily the, the market in which we were working in, they had to react as well. So when we had exhibitions in a, in a big hall of thousands of people, very quickly, these big organizations were actually organizing virtual exhibitions and virtual meetings and all of a sudden because because they were doing that it allowed us to get involved with that um so that's what we did and trying to find agents was still very difficult because the different people involved with the exhibitions that who might not be in a, i think there was a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon of exhibitions because they were cheaper and virtual what they wouldn't have done if they had to go and be there in, in person so I, I guess I guess that then makes it difficult for you to work out how realistic someone's ambitions to be an agent or a distributor for you are because they've not got that normal presence. It's very easy to be virtual, isn't it? And and look like you're something virtue virtu, you know, versus being in an exhibition hall with a big stand and staff and all the stuff that goes with doing that. So I would imagine some of your early decision making might have been 
quite challenging in terms of you know which relationships to pursue and that kind of thing exactly that and it was difficult because you would trawl through the list of guests and the type of companies that were there and you think yeah i'll try and contact this person or, or i won't bother with that one and you put out messages can we meet in this in a virtual meeting room and actually they weren't really interested i think they used that more of a, a marketing exercises for their potential customers rather than wanting people like me to try and tap them up to work with us mm. so they were there for very different reasons and in a hall with these people talking face to face you can quickly distinguish between the guys that are interested in that you get the, at least you get the chance to have the conversation virtually they can decide without even looking at you really or talking to you certainly and they've made their mind up before you've had a chance to even talk to them i think there's also the in in the early days people were going on to anything just to say to their particular employers that they're busy you know lots of people going to exhibitions as well i've been at a virtual exhibition all day really have they they've been sat there in the slippers and you know been been around but they've not really put the same work in that they would have done if they were a big sort of exhibition in a, a an exhibition hall in you know india or you know china or whatever it might be i guess so um what experience have you had at that stage in your previous Part of your career of being a virtual guy, then James, was it was it all new to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, my roles previous to this were mainly UK-based roles. So, um, what happened pre-pandemic was the customers expected you to be there. You couldn't have an initial meeting on a telephone or via Zoom or Teams. They expected you to drive for four hours, sit down for half an hour with them, complete waste time, and go home again. That's what they expected. That's what as a as a sales guy you were expected by your employer to do that as well that was how you filled your day sitting yeah. in a car but what <laughs> has what yeah it was really a lot of it a lot of wasted dead time yeah. but what has changed and it changed very quickly was because we weren't allowed to go to a lot of these pharmaceutical sites in the uk and obviously overseas was even more difficult but very quickly it was normal to have a, a initial meetings and calls via zoom they wanted that and they still do in lots of ways. They still want to have an initial call with you via Zoom because it's quicker, it's easier. You can get a lot of the, the, the simple information out of each other that you need to get and the, the information gathering. And you can do it all like this mm. and you can get five or six people involved. It's easier for them to jump on a call rather than get everybody in a meeting room when they've got to walk across the fact, you know, it's quicker. Mm. So a lot of the initial preamble to a project, if you like, can be done like this. And very quickly, the customer uh, accepted that as a norm. I think as part of the sales process, certainly there might be three, four, five at least touch points before the sale becomes, an, you know, complete. And I reckon if there's four, five, six, seven, eight, a big percentage of those could be done virtually now, couldn't they? You're still going to have to do the face-to-face at some stage, potentially, not always. But, you know, this has changed the way we are doing business isn't it and and you i'm assuming you're doing a lot less miles than you've ever done previously in terms of the the motorway networks of the uk for your uk clients but certainly not getting on as many planes we'll come to planes a bit later um can i ask you how long it was into this sort of new way of working that you realized that this could actually still be okay and could still deliver for pure tech then was there a was there a tipping point was there a, a, a light bulb moment or was it just a you know, a, a series of, of just cracking on with it? It was a series of cracking on with it. Our, our sales process from initial contact to an order 
is anywhere between six months and 24 months. Right. So it's not the, the impact of what was going on wasn't immediate from a sales perspective. It was still in having to engage with people and making us uh, making sure that we were we were there. Mm. Um, so what very quickly we realized that people wanted something, wanted to hear about something that you were doing. So the, the content in, for which we were they weren't great at originally. You know, we did case studies like everybody does, but they were probably quite old and they were just on the website and we weren't doing a lot with them. They were just sitting there on a on the fourth tab along on our websites where nobody goes to anyway, um, just doing nothing. So we realized quite quickly that we need to get this this really good information or really good um, uh, customer feedback. A lot of them had customer names on and companies. Let's, let's start talking about it. If it's last year or two years, it doesn't matter. We've still done it. So that was a very quick way for us to sort of get things out on LinkedIn and get things more prominent on the website. So you, people can see them and, and share them. Maybe we had one case study that we actually revamped three times at the same job, but we came at it at different angles. So you've got three bits of content then that talks about different areas of expertise. So we had all that in place, but we didn't really do anything with it. So quite quickly, it was an easy win to get that content out. What, um, was that a strategic decision then to look at your communication strategy? Because the one thing that you've got in your control in a global pandemic is how you choose to communicate, you know, and what you choose to communicate. Everything else might be <clears throat> a little bit, you know, somebody else's agenda, for example. But it's interesting that you you grasp that quite quickly. Was that, you know, have you, have you done a bit of a revamp on your brand? Have you, have you tweaked your website? You know, what have you done... What have you done to change what might have been seen as traditional to a bit more sort of uh, new age, really? Well, coincidentally, we were already rebuilding our website pre-pandemic, and it went live about February time, I think, from memory. Hmm. Um, and we're, at the same time, we were going through a rebranding. So that was all that 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 could take quite a long time to do all that because it hadn't been done for a long time. But a lot of that hard work had, was already in place. What what I had then was the time to actually look at it because it's always, it's always there to do re-look at the case studies, how, what else can we do with LinkedIn and what have you? It was always on the list to do, but of course it always got put to the bottom of the list. What it, what it gave me was the time to actually sit down and properly look at this. How, how can we do this? What are we going to do? What have we got? What do we need? Yeah. Um, and that's that, the, the gift of the pandemic was time to do that really. Um, those early days you know when it was well no one was doing anything much so why don't we grab a project whatever that project might be a lot of businesses grabbed a project didn't they like say a rebrand a revamp a website update something on social media for example so adaptability and adaptation seem to be the key for you um what have been some of the challenges as you are transitioning from your traditional approach to sales which had been successful as a business you know, prior to you starting and it starting to happen for you six months in the, into the role, you know, what were what were some of the surprises, if if any, or you know, that that, that you realise you're on the right track. When when comp, uh, customers engage back with you, mm. because when you were doing things from from a screen before the pandemic, you wouldn't necessarily know what the reaction was until you saw a like on LinkedIn or somebody commented. Um, but because you're not as engaged in that before as you as we are now, yeah. having that feedback 
even if it was after a Zoom call or a, a bit of training that we had done um, or the webinar that we did last last year, the feedback you get from that, you think, well, this is actually working. And just conversations with we, we appointed a distributor in Southeast Asia and another one in China. I've never never met them. I've not been out for a, a meal with them. I've contacted them and spoke to them via Zoom, WhatsApp, and email. And yet we signed this agreement for two years for the whole of Southeast Asia. Wow. And it's a similar one for China. And if you said, would you have done that two years ago? He said, no, of course not. I want to go meet the guy. I want to go and see who's in charge of their Southeast Asia or their Singapore office and their Malaysia office. I want to go and meet them. And, and, and I want to see their facility and all the stuff that goes with that. You know, you want you want that confidence, don't you, of of, of people to people, face to face. And so, okay, so talk me through, was there a first success, whether it's the first appointment of an agent, first appointment of a distributor, first new customer order? Was there something that set a little light bulb off at you at some stage in the, in the, the pandemic that said, well, we can make this work? You know, was there something that, that gave you that confidence? I think our appointment of the agent in Southeast Asia, they're quite a big organisation. Mm. Um, and we started talking to each other in June, July time of the of 2020. Mm. And the contact was a, a friend of mine down here in South Wales, knew somebody in Singapore who knew somebody who knew a company who knew somebody who might be interested. <laughs> and you think, okay, and then you WhatsApp them. And then you set up a Zoom call with them. And then they put you on to somebody else. And it wasn't until the January that we actually signed an agreement with this company. So a good six months after the initial converse, uh, initial contact. Um, the most worrying, the most concerning thing, if you're not worrying, concerning or apprehensive, apprehensive a little bit was how do I learn to trust these people having not met them and never shaken them by the hand? Mm. And I think you have to learn to maybe trust to trust people having without knowing them as well as you would do if you'd met them and gone out for dinner with them mm -hmm. so you have to learn to trust people more and luckily touch wood for us we've not been stung by that you you have to rely on your judge of character and get to know them via zoom and i've the next we've spent quite a few hours on zooms together over the last yeah. 12 months and I, I think i know you fairly well yes but we only met twice yeah um but you learn you have to do it you have to adapt you have to learn to get to know you talk about things aren't aren't just work I'd only seen your top half. I didn't know if you had. I didn't know. I didn't know if you were eight foot tall or four foot six. You know, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Lucky for you, that's my better half. So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, listen. The other thing is, it's not just about sales, though, is it? It's about things like marketing, networking, exhibitions. It's even your legal process. You know, you'd normally go through due diligence in a different way, face to face. How how did you adapt? that entire process to get to a stage where everything was in place in that January to sign an agent for the Southeast Asia region, which is massive as a region. And I'm assuming quite a big deal. You know, there's more than just this is, we want to sell here. There's, there's everything has to be in place on the full, the full process. What did you have to go through? So the, once, once we decided, because we had two options, actually, there was two companies that we were choosing between, and we went for the, the larger organisation that covers the whole region rather than just Singapore, which we were looking at at the time. Um, what we had to go through, we actually changed it from an agent to a distributor, which was probably the big thing we did, 
if it's an agent, we would tend to quote direct to the end user. So each job contractually is with the end user. With If we're selling to a distributor, all of a sudden contractually, it's a whole lot easier. So we've just got one customer in the whole of Southeast Asia effectively. Which right. we're doing. So that was a big thing. Most of our existing um, representatives globally were agents where we quote um, to our end users direct and we include commission in a quote and that's how how we deal with it and that's contractually with the end user mm. but for this these the chinese one and the southeast asia we changed it to distributor because it was so it was so much easier contractually for us so that's probably quite a big thing um making sure that they had all the marketing material that they needed that was relevant for them in their region the website for example um we let them adapt to the website so they can use it locally in their own language um, previously, we hadn't really done that because everything was in English. It was done by the from by us in the UK. Um, so it changed for that point of view and making and making our content relevant. A lot of our content was quite generic, right. um, making it relevant for maybe their region. What are they talking about? Water for injections was a was a massive thing, obviously with the pandemic and the vaccination and all that. It, suddenly, we were really lucky. You know, the market we work in, you know, was all over the news mm. for, for two years. So having relevant content wasn't maybe as difficult as it was pre-pandemic. So we were, we were very lucky in that respect. Mm. So you, you have your relevant content and we had a webinar, which is excellently, excellently well received. We had- so the webinar, an education piece, was it, was it about pure tech? Was it about the sector? Was it, was it about um, technical stuff? You know, what, what was the webinar, uh, designed for we didn't want to make it a pure tech uh, promotional video yeah no um so we we focused on a quality of water called water for injection mm -hmm. and we 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 looked at it at the pros and cons of the different types of technology that you can now use uh to obtain water for injection um pros and cons of both all, all technologies the costs and the you know the running cost the capex opex mm. those different things um so it was relevant to lots of people whether they were procurement whether they were validation whether they're engineering managers it was of interest of all types of stakeholders that would normally be involved with purchasing something like that um so would, that's how we came at it you normally have done something like that in a region in a lecture theatre or would you've not done that you know was was the webinar a direct result of the pandemic and something you've never done in that particular way or would you would it just was it just a, a a version of something that would have been handled locally in a region previously well ironically when i first started we were looking to set up seminars in regions so in bangladesh for example we were organizing a seminar um for our agents customers and that was being planned sort of september october november time before the pandemic mm. um so we were starting to look at that obviously that all that all fell by the wayside um we hadn't done a webinar in the past mm. um, and my experience of webinars obviously you couldn't move could you for webinars at the start yeah. of the pandemic every week you get an invite to a webinar I'll be honest with you, I can't really knock that because I was probably sending the invites out in the early days. To be fair, James, but... no, I don't think we had a couple. Um, but I wait, we, we waited six months, 12 months because there was so many and I thought there was 
probably too many people just trying to do stuff which you can completely understand yeah um, so we left it and didn't do it till middle of last year um but it was very well received and talking about feedback we mentioned earlier the feedback we got from that webinar we had 200 people registered mm. for the webinar we had 100 people actually sign up which i thought was yeah. i was expecting maybe 30 percent of the original 200 we had 100 people actually sign into the live webinar and that was all over the world and we had 20 questions afterwards the q a afterwards was fantastic so i think we got it right yeah we pitched it right with the approach and what angle we were coming up coming at it at um and it worked and we'll do another one so what's the learning curve from that i was going to ask you a question about the whole sort of process of shifting traditional approaches and sales to this sort of online remote distance working etc let's take the webinar as one example of that <clears throat> what are the learning points that you perhaps want to share with our audience in terms of you know why they should consider it as a as an opportunity then consider a webinar or just generally well, consider consider a things consider your content because it might yeah. not be a webinar it could be a podcast it could be you know new website content it could be case studies but considering your content and and maybe from your webinar point of view what would you say to somebody who's never done one and thinks well maybe i'm not sure you know you've had a great success with it haven't you yeah absolutely i definitely recommend it uh, it takes a lot of planning a lot of thought to uh to get it to the stage where you think this is how i want to this is how i want this is what i want to do um but what i would say is with the content and everything generally over the last two years it's not just been one thing that we've done it's mm. not just been the webinar that we can say yeah that's been the best thing we've done lots of different little things so whether it's revamping our case studies making three case studies out of one the webinar um this podcast is another is another way of just flying the pure tech flag a little bit we we signed up to a pharmaceutical uh, portal where there was i think it was about 350,000 uh, members of it we've got a we've got a, a landing page on that mm -hmm. that's part of it linkedin we had 114 followers on linkedin in january before before the pandemic we've now got 555 or something yeah, yeah. just not by doing anything special just by being there and yeah. being relevant and lots of bits and pieces posting as regular as we can but not too much all these things combined we we looked at our google adwords we had loads of google adwords we we cut them down so the the the, the inquiries that we now get are relevant to exactly what we want we don't get many bad ones now so more, these, more qualified aren't they by the time they come to you already that's a re, as a result of a direct strategy i guess isn't it really but um just 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 sorry to cut you off just going a, a bit back a little bit you got to sort of january 2021 where you got the southeast asia uh agent or distributor in place um how else is it how's the landscape looked you we've mentioned two years how's the landscape looked over those two years you know what what does this what does the numbers look like what does the business look like compared to with with a crystal ball what it might have looked like if we hadn't had a pandemic and you were doing the job traditionally as you were taking on in august 19 to do well if we hadn't had the pandemic obviously i've been we were really successful and been absolutely flying absolutely fantastic um who knows um i can what what i hadn't appreciated at the time i don't think is how different 
each country would actually be now and how they're trying to control the pandemic and control mm. the pandemic. Singapore are doing and China are doing a completely different job to what probably we're doing here in Europe and maybe certainly in Central and Southern America. Um, so I thought Singapore would get through it quite quickly and they'll be open as normal and it'd be great. Far from it. They've gone through lockdown, through lockdown, through lockdown. Um, Europe, different, maybe two or three lockdowns. Singapore, lockdown every every few weeks, go out and then go back in again. Um, so the landscape is different from country to country. It makes, makes it very difficult. Um, regarding sort of figures, and we have grown, PureTech grew last year um in our in our turnover we've we got orders with a um an agent that we appointed during the pandemic in over in mexico mm -hmm. we appointed agents in brazil in spain in egypt in china in southeast asia all during the pandemic and i've only met i've only met the the agent in egypt so far this year is it too early to say if you got them all right? I mean, you know, these things take time to to bed in. Gut feeling is you wouldn't have got them wrong because you wouldn't have gone down that route. But, you know, is there more risk associated with virtual appointments than there would be face-to-face? -face? Um, yes, I would say there definitely is. Because, you know, it's like meeting someone in person. You you, you can definitely, um, not judge them with the wrong word, but you can get a better idea of, what they're like as a person, who they are by meeting them in person. You get, a vibe, you get a vibe, don't you, really, that you can sort of feel, I guess. And that's never going to change. And certainly talking to um, people in different countries with the, with the language barrier, they're, they're obviously speaking English. Mm. It's even more difficult because you can judge, I can judge somebody in the UK because they're all speaking the same language. Um, it's a lot easier. But doing that overseas, people that maybe can't speak brilliant English or yeah. not their first language, it's very difficult over, over Zoom to do that. So you have to rely on your instinct. And look, we, we might have got things wrong. You know, one of our agents we had a bit of an issue with because they were doing things that we didn't know anything about regarding the website and branding and things, which we weren't too happy about. But would that have been any different if I'd met them? Who knows? Who knows? Mm. You would have thought you would hope that you'd have more of a relationship if you had if you'd met them face to face, potentially. Um, how, how they reacted to being appointed virtually then as well? Do, you know, do they do you think they feel the same as they would about being a part of the pure tech family as they would have done face to face? It's difficult, I guess, to say in general, but. You know, does it feel to them as though they're still as valued and valuable to the pure tech family, even though they've not met you yet? Yeah, I think so. Um, that's about how we go about our business. You could have an agent in Denmark up the road, in relatively speaking, up, you know, in Denmark. Um, if you don't talk to them for six months to a year, they're not going to feel valued. And that can be whether you're on a Zoom call or via an email or going out to see them. Mm. there's no different from it's up to the, it's up to us to make sure they they feel valued mm. and don't focus on one area because they're all all of our agents are doing the same job for us they're yeah. effectively doing our sales and marketing locally we support them if you're not supporting them and making them feel like they're wanted they're not going to they, they just won't do it they'll move on to the guy who had, who is looking after them they might be selling something else and then they concentrate on that and they forget about what you're doing so you've got you'd have to do that anyway so i think it's a lot of it comes from us and how they in how they feel.
quite a it's quite a difficult management thing, isn't it? Managing agents and distributors because you know they are your representatives on the ground. You do have to impart your culture and how to do business the pure tech way. You do have to make sure that they're on board with that, but then you have to keep them happy and you have to keep them, you know, uh, in the loop and you have to communicate a lot. So um, I think things like Zoom and Teams and, you know, WhatsApp, particularly in the, certainly in the, uh, you know, the, the Southeast Asia area and India, WhatsApp's a, a definite preferred default sort of communication tool, isn't it? It is. And, and that can be frustrating in lots of ways because you might start a conversation on email and then they finish it on WhatsApp. So when you're trying to scroll through what was said and who said what, when, why, how, you're looking through like two or three different platforms to try and work out what the conversation went like. You're trying to um, knit, knit it all together. And then there's a LinkedIn comment they made, and then there's sort of WhatsApp and an email yeah. and something on it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. Which can be which can be quite difficult, but it's great from a convenience. You, you can even send PDFs now, can't you, on WhatsApp? And yeah. I have now I now have WhatsApp on my laptop. So I can actually get a PDF and I can copy it to the files and I can share it on email if I need to. So it is, it has, a, even that technology is adapted, you know, quite quickly. I can't remember when WhatsApp was available on laptop, but I'm assuming that a lot of people got involved with that on a laptop during the pandemic because... I would imagine, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how much of the new way of working, the stuff we talked about, the, you know, I've got to do it by Zoom, we've got to do WhatsApp meetings, got to appoint people and look after them remotely, a um, lot less travelling, difficulties with geography. Um, you know, uh, let's take Singapore. Ordinarily, you would have booked a tour to Southeast Asia because you're going to go to Bangladesh, you're probably going to go to China and Singapore. But if each local area has got different restrictions, that makes that now an impossible anyway, doesn't it? So how much of what you're now doing and the way you work do you think is now embedded as the norm? Um, I think there will be... Uh, a, a new normal. How many times have we heard that? Yeah, sorry, sorry, I do. I didn't mean to open the door to yeah, that. Thank you for that. We'll use the word pivot in a minute, and then we're okay. We're definitely <laughs> going, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think people will rush back to go back to what it was before because they've not done it for such a long time. Like, yeah. I want to go. To, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to meet these people because I've not seen anyone for two years. And I think there'll be a massive um, that, that would change massively back to how it was initially I think but I think it will sort of go back a little bit and there'll be somewhere in between that we end up being in a few years time there will obviously be a place for Zoom and there'll be a place for Teams and WhatsApp but there will still be a place to have these face-to-face -face meetings um, and I think it might lean more to the face-to-face -face side hmm. rather than lean, lean more towards the, the the virtual WhatsApp Zoom um, communication channels um, so there will be a, a happy medium in between, but I think there'll be a massive surge of people who just want to go out, go everywhere and do everything because they're desperate to go and do it. Well, I'm assuming someone's planning a massive exhibition somewhere that the world is going to attend simply because they can, uh, yeah. and that might feel like I, I, I tend to agree. There's a there's a pent up travel requirement, isn't there? Which brings me to a question: Have you been on a plane recently? <laughs> And if so, where did you go and how did you feel about it? I I landed yesterday afternoon from Naples in Italy. Um, right. And the travelling itself on a plane, the only difference on the plane is the fact that you've got to wear a mask for the, for the entire, entire journey, unless you're eating or drinking. So there's an obvious way around the mask. 
yeah. if you wanted to. Um, what is uh, a bit of a pain at this moment in time is, is the paperwork before and the paperwork when you come back with the COVID tests, um, the passenger locator forms, um, which is, it's, it's just adds extra stress. If you haven't, if you, if you don't pass your COVID test before you leave, you can't go. So you can only do that 24 hours, 48 hours before you're planning on leaving. So all that planning you've done with hotels and travel and flights, it goes out the window because you've tested positive 24 hours before you're leaving. Well, you, you, you're doing all that planning with your fingers crossed, aren't you? So we think- are, and, it, and it's quite stressful, you know, because, you know, it, for work, I suppose, it's not so much. If it's a holiday, family holiday, and one of you gets COVID, I can imagine it is, it is going to be stressful. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's hope that that does change sooner rather than later. Um, but no, the actual airports are busy. The flight was packed, and it, you wouldn't, apart from the masks, actually on the flight, you wouldn't know any different. So what's? I'm going to ask you what's next in a minute. Quick question before we do that: How do you now feel? You've been promoted since uh, uh, taking on the job. You're now sort of director rather than manager. So you must have done something really, really right during the pandemic. Congratulations on that, James, as well. Um, how do you now feel about the role certainly being different from the one that you were presumably attracted to in 2019? <clears throat> yeah, the role, well, my per, my role now is obviously as, as director, I'm more involved with yeah, the business side of things, if you like. Um, I'll still be responsible for the overseas, for the overseas part of the business from a sales and marketing perspective. Um, we're just about to appoint a UK-based business development manager. So that will free up me a lot on the UK side. And that's a new role for us as well. We never had one before. So that would be great. Um, adds to our sales capability, certainly. Um, so, yeah, my role has changed personally. Um, probably a lot different. If you'd asked me when I started, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Without that, I'd still be just traveling around trying to, you know, get new work overseas. And that, that was the role. And very quickly, it wasn't it wasn't what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I was doing very differently. Um, so what's going to happen in two years? I've got no idea what's happening in two years because after the last two years, good luck to anybody to um, work that one out. But I'm glad it's changed, you know, and, and it, but it's, it's, it's changed for the better, in my, for my opinion. And for us as a business, we were, well, as a business, we were acquired by Indutrade in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. You know, so we were doing lots of things right at the time, must have been. Um, yeah. And we've learned a hell of a lot. And, you know, we've been we've been successful and we're, we're looking to be even more successful and we, we continue to grow. I, I suspect your hamster wheel is less spinny. I suspect it's a bit more manageable. I suspect you've got some opportunities to stop and smell the flowers, as it was a little bit, in terms of, you know, rather than rushing around from you know, location, 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 which in itself is quite stressful. You don't often get time to think and plan. You've had a lot of thinking and planning time. You've taken advantage of that as Pure Tech and as James Stepter, haven't you? We have actually, yeah. And um, it's worked to our benefit mm. from, from where we go. Because we've got the medical gas side of the business, which obviously when we started the pandemic, building all these Nightingale hospitals and extending ICUs in all the big hospitals in London, we were very much heavily involved with that um so that that got the pandemic if you like kept our revenue going and then we we've built from there so we have been lucky you know as i know there's lots of businesses out there that have not been so lucky just because nothing to do with their own fault the sectors they're working in whether it be hospitality Mm. airlines 
travel. You know, there's so many people that have been affected. Uh, we just happen to be lucky that we work in the sector that has not only not been affected, but has effectively grown. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been great exploring the changing landscape. It's great to talk to a, a global sales director who hasn't been on a plane very often for two years, which is an interesting concept because it's very alien to what the role was originally intended to do. Um, I know Pure Tech being part of Indutrade are going to continue to go from strength to strength. And you know, adaptation seems to be the key. Um, I'm sure you're going to go and meet some of your agents and um, distributors over the next few months when those countries open up. And hopefully you don't get any shocks when you do meet them and you find that they are the right people that you've appointed virtually because that's always good for the uh, morale, I guess, isn't it? So um, all that remains for me to, to do really is to uh, remind people of the podcast, the fact that it's available on all your popular podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Podbean, CastBox, you, you name it, it's on there, all available through the impactus-group.com uh, website as well. My contact details for those who are watching this on YouTube are on the last screen, as indeed are James's. All of our contact details and some uh, other information will be in the show notes for the episode. But all that remains for me to say is, James, thank you for being our first guest back after our winter break. And uh, thanks for sharing your experiences of global pandemic management in a global sales role. Thanks very much. Thank you, Nick. Great to speak to you. And you. Take care.